1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. This is Inside OU with... You hear the, the roofs here in Memorial Stadium. On the Franchise Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Inside OU Podcast. This is Brady Trantham. Uh, just like we said on the Thursday edition of the podcast that we did uh, with John Hoover, John is on vacation this week, much deserved. He's going to be fairly busy as we get closer and closer to uh, game one against Houston, which is now uh, not this week, but next week we will finally be uh, prepping for game week. But now, uh, like like we just added last week, everybody was excited for Rufus Alexander himself uh, as being kind with his time and joining me once again on the Inside OU podcast. So Rufus, thank you once again, man. Oh man, appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to be on again. Um, you're pretty good at the podcasting thing. Yeah, I like the <laughs> podcasting. It was, it's pretty fun. I mean, you can kind of hang loose and kind of say what you want to say, cuss a little bit. And, you mm-hmm. know, you don't have to be as uh, mindful as you are on the regular <laughs> radio. I guess it's frowned upon to cuss on that. No, it's 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 funny. Like, I guess you find <laughs> doing that. And I, I don't want to be. I'm gonna be Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch, and you know, I'm only here so I don't get fined. <laughs> no, it's funny. Like I started. I mean, before I worked with the franchise, I podcasted first. Um, so that was kind of my experience, just talking publicly, and it was so hard to remember that. Yeah, you're on the radio, so you can't, you can't. Well, one, you can't edit anything. You can't start over, and you for sure can't say anything bad if you get frustrated. But um, that's not going to happen here because I'm not frustrated. Rufus isn't frustrated. We're all very excited to keep doing this podcast. It's well, now live. after game one, we we'll all be things, frustrated. After game one, things could change. I can possibly be cussing and say, what the hell, you know, what the hell, and substitute it with an F word. But, you know, you, know, you never know here or there. You, uh, that's that's why God invented the bleep. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be right up there with you. Um, before we get into everything that we just talked about, because I actually, it's kind of a good point. Because um, I've been saying this in my little OU group chat on Twitter, all my friends. We're just bored. We We want football to get here. So we're trying to... I guess, analyze every single little angle we can inside and out because we're, you know, we're starved for it. But I'll tell you this really quick, or I'll ask you this really quick. Is there really anything that we can learn from this defense after the Houston game? And I'll preface that with last year, the defense looked great against FAU and they looked really good against UCLA and then stuff happened. So like, my question to you is, is the only lesson, the only lessons that we can learn from this defense after game one are bad because if they barely win, or God forbid they lose. Obviously, we'll know something, but I don't care if they shut them out. Um, I mean, you can learn a lot. I mean, you can learn a lot about um, how they get to the ball, um, the way they play with tech, if how they play with technique, and what they do. If they understanding where they made mistakes at, um, that's a whole. That's a big learning thing. I mean, after you look at the past few years of the way the defense kind of reacted to bad things happening to them on the, in a game. Um, I mean, things would roll downhill and it would just continue to roll and roll and roll and it would never stop. And it's like you kind of knew, well, oh, here goes the game. This is what it's going to be all game long. And by the end of the game, they come up with one or two stops and the game ends and they win. Um, that's something that you want to see eliminated. You want to see those guys at least make it to where it's a stop. They may get a little traction, then it's a stop. You know, you kind of want to keep 
you want to see if they can manage to play against a good offense. Because anybody that had a decent offense, they they struggled against. Anybody that had like a decent game plan, they struggled against. Um, I think they they overpowered. Uh, who was it? The first game, Florida Atlantic. Yeah, I believe they they overpowered Florida Atlantic. UCLA was nowhere near being UCLA that can that had somewhat of an offense or anything like that. That was you know, something that challenged you or anything. Um, they were struggling. They had a freshman quarterback, I believe, that came in and played some uh, for UCLA. So it, you kind of look at that game and be like, yeah, you know, you kind of see, and eh, they could dominate that one. But when you saw somebody that had like a clear-cut plan of what they're going to do over and over again, um, they struggled against that. And you got to make, you got to be able to make a team play left-handed. And that's what I want to see. If this team can make a team play opposite of what their strengths are. Um, if, if you want to make a team one dimensional, we always wanted to make a team, a passing team. We were never, we wanted to shut down the run and make them abandon the run. And all we had to do was blitz, go off the ball and try to get to the quarterback and try to intercept the ball. And that's what I feel. Oh, you need to do if any, if anything we learned from them, the first game is that if they can make Houston one dimensional, a straight passing team, this defense has really gotten a lot better and they believe and understand their techniques yeah that's the important thing with Alex Grinch moving forward is just kind of what you said um on the opposite end uh and I think you were probably referring to Army when OU finally played when OU finally played a team that had a clear-cut plan and idea of what they wanted to do and they didn't want to they had an identity yeah they weren't afraid to say like if it doesn't work the first time we're going to keep doing it because this is our brand of football as soon as OU ran into that like it was a different story but I think for Grinch is in, in their own respect, they have to create an identity identity for themselves. Like, we're, we're speed D. So, um, that's going to be important to see. Just OU having, I, I guess, balls on defense. And e- even if they give up a bad play or two, you know, it doesn't matter. You're going to go back out. The offense is going to go out back out there and probably score. And then the defense gets a, a chance to redeem themselves and say, that was just one play. You know, it's just a snowball effect. Avoid that. Right. Um, I think in I think with them naming it Speed D, it kind of gives them that thought of, you know what, this is what we're doing. This is what we're branding ourselves to be. Speed D, always hustling to the ball, always doing something. Because, I mean, if you think about the OU defenses in the past, all you thought about was, I mean, they were aggressive. You knew they were coming and everything was, they're coming to hit you in the mouth. Everything was about aggression, playing with an edge. And all of a sudden, I mean, Coach Venables, Mike Stoops, Jackie Ship, Bobby Jack, all those guys. It's what they coached. It's what they preached every day. Be aggressive. Know what you got to do and get there with a bad attitude, with bad intentions. And that's what everybody were, were kind of playing off of. And that's how everybody, you know, that's how they taught everybody else. They taught them with, with aggression and being mean. And they, I mean, you just the way you were you were practiced and taught every day uh, and, and taught to and talked to, talk to, learned, all that stuff was all kind of, you know, in your face, let's get it. And then the coach would make you angry on the sideline, and then the person on the field had to feel you because you couldn't take it out on the coach. So it was kind of all a thing that ran into each other. And you give them that identity of a speed defense, and you you make them think they're playing fast, and you make them believe they're playing fast, and then you make it simple for them where they have to understand. And then you ask them questions to where – they have to think on the on, at the drop of a dime when they start answering things fast, and that means they're starting to understand what he wants as a coach. And he, and with the speed de- defense thing, is it's all an understanding also when he's talking about the speed defense. Exactly, and you know, obviously, Rufus, you're a guy who's plugged in with the program. You have the you have the opportunity to go see 
uh, the Sooners practice, you know, more so than the big J journalists, more so of course, um, of course than the fans. And I'll ask you this, um, because I don't know how much, I don't know if you, if you've been able to walk into the locker room or something like that, but, uh, when ESPN did their little feature on the road and they, uh, were in Norman like last week or two weeks ago, um, what you were talking about with the speed, the defense having that as their identity, um, Kenneth Murray kind of showed, um, Maria Taylor and, uh, I can't remember the other lady's name. Cannot remember her name. She works for ESPN. He was, he was showing them around the, the locker room and in his locker, he had like a piece of paper, um, you know, taped to the side of his uh, wall and it was just speedy and it had like a bunch of bullet points on there. And it's, you know, you hate to say that it's like Grinch forcing propaganda on, onto these players, but it's, it's almost kind of like that. He has to make them believe um, he has to make them believe that everything that happened before that's in the past, you can still, you guys still have that talent. You guys still have the ability to be a top end level defense, at least in the big 12. And so like little things like that, that might seem silly. Like I think, I think they're kind of important over the grind of a summer and fall camp. And I'm just curious, um, was it, was there anything like that with you during your playing days where, you know, whether it be Brent Venables, Bob Stoops, you know, just trying to hammer home a message and how well did, like, if so, how well did you guys take to it? Man, I don't remember like any like message that coach Venables kind of came with that you kind of put as a bulletin thing in your, in your locker or whatever. I mean, some guys kind of, in fairness to you guys, it wasn't really necessary. You guys were pretty good on defense back then. I mean, in all fairness, I mean, <laughs> I don't think some of the things that he said, I don't think it would be something that we could uh, sit there and come back with and say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to put that as a bulletin on my thing. I mean, but a lot of guys are really self-motivated, you know. Um, I'm sure before uh, the 90s, you know, they probably may have had some stuff that was put up where guys had to see what they were, what people said about them and stuff like that. But once you kind of get momentum going and you're self-motivated, um, those those bullet points and concepts are just kind of something that you pick up from the older guys. Um, and that's what I did. I picked it up from Teddy and I picked it up from Lance Mitchell and Gayron Allen and those guys and the way they prepared and played and all that stuff. So I always play with an intensity. I uh, watched the way Brandon Everidge went out there and strike people, made hits and all that stuff. And I wanted to be that person that had felt that energy of just hitting the hell out of somebody and making them feel it and the crowd going crazy and getting up and having that emotion and energy and hype to hit everybody up upside the head and get get back and line up and line everybody up right, right, left, left, and just say what's coming and all that stuff. That was a personal challenge to me because I saw guys before me do that. They would line up and they would call out plays or they would help out the defensive line or they would come and get together and say, hey, look, man, when he does this, you need to do that. It'll help. It'll clean everything up. So different things like that, you kind of have to – you, you kind of – Right now, they they're getting a group of guys to learn that. So you re you reiterating things that you would figure a veteran squad would know, and guys behind them would you know pick up on. And now you're having to teach that all over again. So these are the beginning steps of building something. Um, I mean, it's a good thing, but they're they're building something, and hopefully the young guys pick up on what they're building now. So you don't have to reteach it. It's just plug and play, and guys that come in. Either you fall in line or you get left. That's how it was. I mean, I remember there's a ton of talented players that left OU because they didn't get in line. And that's how it has to be. 
Um, if you're going to play play a game at, at a place like Oklahoma, it's the same thing at Alabama. Either you get in line or you get left. And they have so many talented people that doesn't bother. It doesn't – I mean, they, they lose a guy to injury. It doesn't bother them because they've been learning from that guy in front of him. Um, I remember guys like is Aaron Miller was a kid that came highly recruited out of California, couldn't get in line. He got left. Uh, Michael Hawkins was another really talented kid. Is that Abilene, right? Yeah. I, I used to live in Abilene. I remember like I was excited about him because I saw him play once and thought, this guy's going to be a ball hawk. Yeah, he is super work. talented. I mean, fast. I mean, unbelievable. Rare frame. I mean, he was six foot tall. I mean, he can run like the wind, but he can never get in line. So, you know, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of those things, you know, with building a great defense, guys have to get in line and believe. And what everybody's doing, believe in the system and believe in one another. You can't have a selfish person out there wanting to play for themselves because they end up leaving a lot of guys hung out to dry. Yeah, and you know, Rufus, that's really, I mean, it's really great points. And especially um, when you were talking about guys that you played with, they were self motivated. I mean, this is going to be a process um, with the with Alex with Alex Grinch. It's going to be a process to build this defense back up to being respectable. And I guess the first part is Grinch's responsibility to throw out a message, and then it's going to be the on the players' responsibility to then become self motivated. But I want to table that for now because I'm sure you just saw it on your phone. Um, but Lincoln Riley just named Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback. Yeah. Thoughts, reactions. It's it's actually we knew it. We we knew oh, it. I mean, you guys may have known it, but I, I'm saying I've seen some practices where you know you may have not or may you may have thought different. But um, I mean, I think it is what it is. Um, hopefully, he has a ton of success. Um, but uh, it's gonna be it'll be an interesting season to see. I, that's all I'm gonna say. Um, I've, I've watched some and I've seen it. I want to. Uh, I'll go to a few practices with him being the guy and see how it looks and see what they're gonna do offensively. But uh, I mean, it doesn't do it doesn't do much for me. It doesn't make me celebrate or jump up for joy and say, "Hey, we made it" or anything like that. I just uh, I'm just gonna look at it and say, you know, it's Lincoln Raleigh's doing Lincoln Raleigh doing what he wants to do and figuring out that this is the best way the team needs to be ran. And uh, you know, you got to go with what the coach says. I mean, he believes in what he has and his his um his job and what this guy can definitely lead this team to a good in a good direction. So. We got, we shall see. Yeah, and look, I I highly respect that you you know when, when you're coming at me with uh, your thoughts on the quarterback battle, and we had great discussion about it last week. I thought um, I highly respect that you're you're coming at it not with just opinions, you know, like I am. Like I'm I'm just a fan. John Hoover, he's a well informed journalist, so we we'll, we'll all have our opinions. But you know, I seriously all week I had to seriously stop and really curb my Jalen Hurts thoughts, like. Yeah, like he he more than likely, if I had to bet, he's probably going to be the starter. But, you know, Rufus sees it and he understands like, you know, some days X looks better in practice. Some days Y looks better in practice. And that it's it's not something that you should just simply shrug off if you're a fan, if you're a journalist, if you're anybody following this team. Practice is important. And it's. I guess it sounds silly in retrospect um, because, like you told me last week before we went, we uh, recorded, there were days where Austin Kendall looked like a better quarterback in practice just because he was there long. He was there in that system longer. He didn't have to leave to go play baseball like Kyler Murray did. It takes time, and right. I guess I, I don't know if you were able um, if you went and saw practices last year after Kyler Murray was named the starter officially. I can't remember what exact how far away we were from the FAU game, but in what ways does Lincoln Riley really 
change up practice when he finally names a starter at quarterback like what what will Jalen Hurts do differently moving forward after after this day I don't know if he he does a lot differently I think uh some of the plays that he's put in in practice will become either staples of the game plan that he succeeds at a lot more than what he doesn't succeed at so you know you kind of shrink what he can't do and you add on to what he can do um I mean, with Kyler Murray, I mean, with Kyler, you, you saw a little bit more RPO-type stuff, stuff that put him a little bit on the edge. He didn't have to sit in the pocket as much sometimes. Sometimes you would get things where he had a little run-pass option and he can do some things to get to the outside. So it was just some things that he was able to put him on the move knowing that he would be successful doing these things on the move. Um, I, I just think he, he caters the playbook to what they can do and highlight a lot of the different parts parts of his playbook. That makes it look good for Jalen Hurts. Um, I, I still say it's um, if you if you see him struggle in the Houston game, you may. I, I mean, I don't know what you. I don't think it'll be as seamless as anybody as everybody says. That's just me, my opinion. I don't think it'll be as seamless as it was how Kyler Murray came out and he played, and it was just clicking on all cylinders. I mean, it doesn't I, even have to be about Jalen Hurts. He's he's playing with a brand new offensive line except for Creed Humphrey. It's there's going to be some hiccups early on. Yeah, I think they're going to be some hiccups, but I, I th- I'm I'm also going to say you're going to see some hiccups from the on the quarterback side. I think you'll see some where you you will see a guy like Baker Mayfield and those guys throw the ball off, throw the next. They go to their next read fast, and they get the ball out of their hand. I think you'll you'll see a little bit slower play uh, from him. Um, just like I said, from seeing stuff, from watching him play at Alabama, from looking at some of the things he's done here as well in practices and stuff, watching the spring game. Um, some things, a lot of things, don't look as clear to him, and I don't. He doesn't throw. He from like I said from past film, you can see that the deep ball is not as accurate as you would see with a Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. So you should see, you'll see some of those things may rear its head in some of the games. You'd be like, oh, how did he miss that? Or, oh, man, that pass was there. Um, so um, I'm I'm anxious to see. I'm anxious to see if he struggles what Lincoln Riley does. Does he go to Tanner Mordecai? Um, or does he put Rattler in? Um, I, I mean, I, I'm just going to what will he do when he has those struggles? Because Alabama had to go to somebody else whenever he struggled. It didn't. It didn't like. It wasn't going to change. <laughs> they knew it. I mean, they would have lost the national championship game if they if he stayed in the game. Yeah, the way it was going, certainly. Um, I I'm always going to wonder, especially you know, two or three years down the road after, of course, Jalen Hurts is gone to maybe the NFL or whatever he does after his college career is over, and Spencer Rattler is maybe going into his second or third year as a starter at quarterback at OU. I'm really curious what could have happened if Spencer Rattler was an early enrollee or at least how, how much tougher this quarterback battle might have been because, I mean, we've, we've heard Lincoln say specifically about Spencer Rattler, it showed early on in fall practice and in the summer, it showed that Spencer would have, it, it would have helped him. It would have behooved him to have been here um, oh, yeah. in the spring. Yeah, it would have been. I mean, I think, you know, later on in practice, you see some of the defenses kind of get hip to him. He starts – the defense starts to move a little bit a little bit later, and he doesn't know how to go off to the second read or something else. Um, things that you get comfortable with whenever as you continue going on in practice and done the spring and did the film work and saw the defense do these types of things and move from two to three and go to quarters and go back to half – see when it's man-free, see when a blitz is coming. 
those are all things that become second nature whenever you look at it. Seeing somebody out of place, seeing somebody move, knowing how to scan to feel a whole lot better instead of just lining up, doing what you got, like looking, handing the guy, and then snapping the ball. Um, so for Spencer Rattler, it's going to come. It's going to be there. I mean, the kid is very talented. Uh, for uh, I think for Mordecai, I think he just has to, I think, wait his time. You know, football is a finicky thing. You, I mean, injuries happen. Bad play happen. Uh Somebody, I mean, look at the Bryant situation at Clemson. I mean, I mean, the Lawrence kid was just sitting there waiting his time, and they said, "Hey, look, <laughs> you look really good. You go there and have the ball. Nice hair. Yeah, nice hair. Hey, he showed up and he just boom, he turned it on. So, um, I, I mean, like I said, I have nothing against Jalen Hurts. I think he's a fine quarterback. I, I'm, I'm gonna we're gonna see how the season plays out. Uh, should be fun. Um, he's gonna he's gonna do some great things for OU. Um, but I, I just don't think it's going to be as seamless of a transition uh, as it was the way Kyler Murray took over the offense and just pretty much exceeded what Bacon Rayfield did. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you're going into it with kind of a cautious optimism because, of course, we, we all want to see Jalen Hurts succeed. You as, a for, as an alum, me as a little fanboy, um, we want Jalen Hurts to – we want we hope that that transition is, is seamless, of course, but I'm not going to sit here and ask you to tell me why he's a Heisman candidate by the end of the year. But what I will ask you, cause this him being successful, that can be anywhere for him being like an all big 12 quarterback or just a guy that simply just wins games for OU, you know, whether it's with his arm with whether it's with his legs, because like you said, like there are limitations in his game. Now, unless he's made the steps necessary to improve on uh, getting the ball downfield. And that's incredibly important in the Lincoln Riley offense is to stretch the field. Um, to manipulate the defense with RPOs. Those are important. But how Rufus Alexander, former defensive player of the year in the Big 12, how is Jalen Hurts a 10 to 11 win successful quarterback at OU this this season now that he's been named the starter? Um, the run game has to be really good. Um, I think just sitting back and having him pass the ball up and down the field um, and the run game is not successful – um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long season uh, if that's the case. But OU has always been balanced. Um, last year they were balanced. When Baker Mayfield was here, they were balanced. I mean, they are right around fifty five percent runish. You know, they're gonna run the ball very heavily. So I think that'll benefit him as well. Um, it's hard to kind of look at two quarterbacks in the system and watch them play every day in practice. And I think um, Tanner Mordecai was not out of that race. If if anybody think that it was a it was just so easy for Jalen Hurts to win. It wasn't. I mean, it was a neck-and-neck neck situation. So I think you look at Jalen Hurts uh, playing in a game, um, Lincoln Riley saw something that he saw best. I think with with Austin Kendall's situation, I mean, Kyler Murray bought the fleet of foot. I mean, it's something that Austin Kendall could not defeat. He could yeah. not defeat that. When it came to pass accuracy and all that stuff – he can be there. You can see flashes from Ken, Austin Kendall. You can, but Kyler Murray, you saw the same flashes. So you kind of go with the X factor. Um, and I think the leadership part with with Jalen Hurts would be the X factor with the experience, game experience is the big X factor with him as well. But for him to have success, the offensive line has to get in the rhythm. Really, has to, has to get in the rhythm. Has to block well, and they have to run the ball with some success. I mean, you get you need a good successful run game. He hasn't done things at Alabama without the run game being very successful. And that's where they struggled at when they played against uh, – when they were when they had to take him out. The run game was struggling. 
And then he was struggling as a passer because guys could just stay back and play play steady, sit down in their coverage because the run game was getting stopped. And they couldn't they couldn't open the field up. So this run game is going to have to be successful for Jalen Hurts to be successful. I just want to thank Lincoln Riley and the University of Oklahoma for breaking this news while we were recording this. Because I know. <laughs> I hey, can't, I can't Riley, tell you, you. Um, how frustrating it is covering the Oklahoma City Thunder because they – they have a knack of dropping big news, like when I'm on the highway, when I am nowhere near my computer. It's so oh, annoying. You so want to crash your car? <laughs> <laughs> I've had to pull. I remember Paul George had off-season surgery the year after, or the um, right after they lost to Utah, and I had to pull over on the side of the highway, pull out my computer, and write up the little story for the website. It never fails. So shout out to OU for breaking this. So Rufus and I didn't have to like do an emergency pod um, on the phone. So shout out to you, Lincoln Riley, but. I guess segueing back over to the defense where we kind of started this whole little uh, show. Um, we talked about it a little bit last week, but in more, more in terms of just the individual talent of uh, Kenneth Murray. Um, we talked about Caleb Kelly, of course, who um, you said torn ACL. He's not going to be able to maybe even play at least until the middle part of the year, if that. So we'll see. But, you know, Rufus, when you played primarily 2004, 2005, 2006, you were a part of – I mean, very solid, very good linebacking core. You, of course, uh, were the leader. Um, 05, you had Zach Latimer, yourself, Clint Ingram. Um, moving moving on, you had some more talented guys come, in, come into the program. But, you know, the way I see defense, I see it more kind of like how you people evaluate an offensive line. You can have one talented All-American on that line, but you can even have guys that don't even get drafted into the NFL, and you can still have a very strong unit because they all understand each other. They they have chemistry. They know. Um, they understand the playbook. All those little factors that add up. Um, in terms of OU's linebackers currently, like how how do they not just manifest the individual talent of the guys that they have on roster and the guys that are more than likely going to start? How do they become a cohesive unit that understands placement, that understands gap responsibility? Because you can just throw on a random highlight. Um, you can throw on a random highlight of any game last year. And anytime Texas is brought up on like ESPN college game day, um, anytime they're brought up, they'll always show that Sam Ellinger quarterback power into the end zone and the one thing that sticks out, at least to me, is Kenneth Murray just goes into the complete wrong gap. And I don't know, I don't know why that happened. I don't know if it was a miscommunication on his part or the defensive coach, coach's part. But how does that get corrected? Because um, it's not just, it's not always just simply on the individual. It's, I would have to think that it's a, a cohesive unit chemistry. It's factor. a, it's a unit situation. It's um, trusting your eyes. I mean, a lot of it is individual. I mean, on that situation, a lot of it is individual. Man, I, I would tell you. Um, if you don't see a quarterback power, I mean, you're blind. Um, um, I mean, no, not to say anything about him. I mean, you can see it all happening. I mean, it's slow developing and they bringing guys, they're trying to get the line across, you know, they're trying to do all this stuff to, they're pulling a guy and they're bringing somebody around. They put a lot of window dressing on it pre-snap. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but you see the development is just, you, you're looking, I mean, when you drop and you look, I mean, running, he ran straight ahead. Um, in a gap that he didn't even have to run straight ahead in because everything was flowing to the opposite side of him. So for him, I mean, I think at that point in the game is frustration because you just want to go and knock the hell out of somebody. Um, at that point, you know, you're down by the end zone and, you know, you play without technique. Sometimes a lot of guys, you you can watch it NFL as well. Um, does somebody get on the two or three yard line and they just kind of, all right, they're going to run it straight up in this hole and I'm going to go ahead and blast the middle of it. 
well, they ran so they ran off tackle. And he, but that, that's just a nervousness that you have that he's a, a frustration thing that you have and that's what he needs to learn as far as a linebacker how to have hold his composure, still trust his reads doesn't matter how close he is to the end zone. You still got to trust and understand what you're doing as a player and always always go back to your technique and what you're taught. Not try to be a hero and, and slam into there and st- thinking, oh, I'm going to make a big play. And next thing you know, they're off tackle. They're in the end zone. So um, a lot of that had to do with him. Um, right now, the way they're playing defense is so much different uh, than what they played last year. Um, so it's not as much of reading and reacting. It's more of reacting and then going after the ball. Um, so, you know, you get off the ball and then you find it and you go and get it. So you got to like that part of it. And then like they're now they're more gap sound. Um, it's all about being in the proper gaps and stuff. So I, it's an easier defense. Um, I've played in a gap sound defense. It's a very easy defense. A, they do a B is coming. They do C D is, I mean, it's just all falls in line and you have to be able to go through your checks and balances very quick in your mind. Even when they don't the RPO, Knowing when something's going away from you in an RPO and they're running the ball away from you, that you have time. Um, uh, coaches used to call it slow to go. You have to be fast flow or slow to go. Whenever you slow to go, that lets you stay in the passing lane. Whenever you have to be fast, you have to go. You have to go. You can't worry about the passing lane. You're trying to play the run and come downhill. You leave it for somebody else to play. But um, I think the overall education of uh, Kenneth uh, Kenneth Murray um, and the other guys will help them. Will benefit the whole entire team, the defensive line. Sorry to my defensive linemen. They're just, you know, we tell them where to go. You go in this gap. <laughs> hey, you have the A gap. If you don't know A is your A's and B's, then you have to, if you don't know your ABC's, then you need to go ahead and get off the field. So uh, the, the hard part is still on the middle on the core is the linebackers. Cause they have to have the education of the whole entire defense and knowing when somebody does something wrong and be able to call those guys out. And that's the thing. The linebacker has to know the back end. They have to know the front end. They're the middle. They're the brain trust of the defense. And the more educated all those guys are, those those two guys are, the two inside guys are, the better they're going to be. The more that one guy can talk for the other guy and help the other guy out, the better off they're going to be. There was a lot of times Zach – I mean, there was, a, there was one time in the game, I think it was A&M, Zach Latimer covered the wheel route for me. I didn't see it, and he saw it. And he saw the guy ducking low, and he took off, and Zach Latimer went and covered and I ended up picking up the slack for Zach on the other side. And he was like, man, you ain't see that guy on the wheel route? I was like, nah, I covered the guy over there that you didn't cover. He's like, mistakes right. happen. But, you know, we come to the sideline. Coach Venables grabbed me and Zach said, I saw the wheel route. I said, I picked it up for him. And he's like, all right, cool. But you got to see Rufus, you have to see that. And I didn't see it. I mean, and I'm one of the captains of the defense. But Zach saw it and recognized it. So everybody's education have to be up there and playing and helping out each other whenever they can. See, that's that's so important. And I'm glad you brought up a good example like that because it's not just simply doing your job because if, if you just boil you know, team sports down to just five guys in basketball or 11 guys on a unit on football just doing their job, it's like, yeah, you'll be fairly competent. You'll be, you can be very good, but... You know, football is so random at times. You know, even like maybe that guy that Zach Letterman picked up, maybe he ran the wrong route. Maybe that's why he, I, I don't know exactly what Hell happened. Hell no, but, he didn't. He got in there just for a wheel route. <laughs> I mean, he was tight to the line of scrimmage. It was an, an easy alert. And Zach was trying to tell me, and I just didn't. I, I mean, I was so focused in. And I think I just went up to the line and checked something and backed up. And I didn't catch it in time. And he caught it and picked it up and – Everything was fine, but 
that would have been something that's, you know, that's one of those things where I think back, you know, that could have been a touchdown that was on my, that was my fault, you know, and you think about it that way. Um, but man, you know, guys like that, you know, y'all, we have to be able to play off of each other whenever you're playing defense. You have to understand what other guys are doing and um, and knowing what this guy should be doing as well as knowing what you should be doing. Um, some A lot of people say you have to know your job and take care of your job, but at, at linebacker, there's never a time where you can't just know your job because uh, you play, you have to play in the passing lane. You have to play in the run. You have a guy next to you that you have to trust. If y'all not on the same page, if he's thinking under and you're going to go over just to kind of give somebody a good look whenever you're fit, fit, uh, fitting a certain run game, y'all have to know how to play off of each other. And that's the thing I think this team has been missing. And I think Coach I Odom – yeah. Coach Odom's going to be a guy that's going to get it out of those guys, and he understands that. He understands the, the guys in the middle have the toughest job. The 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 offense, the defensive linemen, they're going to hold up blocks and get in their gaps and stuff, and which is a tough job. But when you have to mentally play this game the way the linebackers have to play it, it's still a, a super tough job. Well, yeah, well, kind of like um, rewinding a little bit back to when you were talking about how the D line, they're, they're you know, you you told them what to do. So like the last, especially last year. I mean, for you, how frustrate, frustrating was it to see like the defensive line basically just be told to just eat up blocks and just create like it, it wasn't even do, it didn't seem like they were doing what they were philosophically trying to design them to do. And I think in some cases they really made it even more difficult for the linebacking core because it was hard to see when you got guys that are just yeah forming a wall basically they, they're doing the offense a, a service there and that was the, the thing you know um you never wanted to play football when everything is cloudy um and that's how it was for linebackers all the time everything was cloudy the guards was always in your face and you could you had to see things so lightning fast to really pick up on things um and with the read and react thing you're you're pretty much telling this defensive lineman you got to have your own education on how you play you have to educate this guy and that guy if he does this you do that and you tell this defense line if he does this you do that if he does i mean and then the linebacker well if that guy does this you do that if that guy does this you do that i mean you having to look at defensive lineman defensive lineman offensive lineman you have so much you have to look and read and see because we didn't have that unbelievable defensive lineman that would shut down one side of a defense you didn't have a Javanian clown. You didn't have a Tommy Harris. You didn't have a Dusty Dvorak in the middle, a Dan Cody where, you know what, they're probably not going to mess with him too much in the game. They're probably going to run maybe four or five plays to try to keep him honest his way, but they're going to try to pick on this side of the line. Yeah. Well, whenever you're balance-wise, you don't have a threat on either side, and you're not really as dominant up the middle as you would like to be. I mean, the linebackers are in a no-man's land because both guards are uncovered. So, I mean, you have a 300-pounder coming at you full speed, and you have to either play flat or sideways, which sucks playing flat and sideways in football. I've had it. I've had it happen to me, and it it sucks. We play – I can give an example. When we played played against Washington State and they ran a power down our butt, that was the game where – when Keenan Clayton got fired from playing safety. Oh, he tried to go for a decleater, and the running back um, spun, spun off, off of him. And that was the last time we saw Keenan Clayton at safety. We, yeah, he got fired there. But <laughs> a lot of it, I mean, that play was there, but there had a, we had a lot of bad things happening up front. 
Um, our front, our, our defensive line was playing bad. I mean, Carl Pennington had a few times where he went straight in the backfield. Nobody touched him on a power, and the, he would miss totally miss the running back. Well, if he misses, if nobody blocks him, that means there's two or three guys to come and block me. And I'm sitting there like, Coach. And, I mean, Coach Venables would meet me on the field and say, hey, what, what the hell is going on with the, the F of effing power? You know, what the hell? I'm like, Coach, there's nobody blocking the nose tackle. What? There's nobody blocking the nose tackle. They can't do that. I'm like, Coach, I'm telling you, there was two people on me, Coach. And he, he was like – and then he goes and he cusses out the defensive lineman. And Carl Pennington was like, yeah, yeah, they didn't block me. I came out free. And he – the look on his face of disgust is like <laughs> – I mean, it's one of the most underrated things that I've ever seen. I mean, the look of disgust on his face was just crazy. <laughs> because, I mean – it's just how that's how important those guys those guys are really important up front but it was equally as important for me to understand what the hell just happened to be able to relay it to him so he can know all right this is our problem up here we may have to adjust this or that but still i mean those are the things that those other guys being able to play and help each other out and knowing what's going on and holding up blocks i think was the worst thing that she could ever do at OU. Put a guy over a guy. Even the guys, we, even teams that played the 3-4 three, the three, defense didn't just hold, look. They went to push guys back. And, you know, they you had to put guys two or three yards back in the backfield to make the running back bubble. Then you react. We didn't have the manpower to push a guy three yards back. <laughs> it wasn't happening. No, I, I feel like that that's the base problem. Um, going back to the old regime with the uh, defense, and if you if you asked, you know, every single OU fan, like, what were your what was the root problem with the defense? And like, I feel like a lot of people would say it's like Mike Stoops is whoever whoever's idea this was, where it came where it came from. Their in, their insistence on trying to let the plays come to them and then trying to corral it as much as possible instead of being aggressive. It seemed like it it kept them very flat. And every yeah, time somebody like you said you're going sideways or flat foot. And every time a running back hit him, they always fell forward for three, four yards. That third and twenty six against Texas last year, where they were just like, "Ah, eh, screw it, we'll just play field position." They threw like a little bubble screen that should have been tackled for tackled, eight yards, and, and the guy carried him forward. like just fell forward, and you're like. This and is it's ridiculous. They're so they were so used to just catching everything and going the other way. I mean, and that's what Kenneth Murray I think is going to thrive in this defense because, like he said, it's more downhill and I get to go make plays on the other side. Before all his all this a lot of his tackles were side sideline sideways tackles and guys will fall for three four yards. You're not getting a bunch of negative plays, and that's the thing about OU. You used to pride yourself on making and creating negative plays, and we didn't create a lot of negative plays last year, the year before that. Everything was a one-yard gang, a two, three-yard gang, or get hit at one yard, fall forward for three, four yards. That's what you have to get over with. That's what you have to get rid of. You have to hit somebody and they have to go down right there, and that's what you need to – that's need to be your the pride that you have whenever you play against anybody. You When you hit them, they go down. Well, this is going to be the worst transition in this short podcast uh, history because, um, like, first of all, like I gave you a rundown yesterday, Rufus, of how we wanted to go, like, about this show, and we've we already are like flipping it all on its head because of the Jalen Hurts news. Um, really, some of the, some of the things I've been talking about with some of my friends 
Um, for whatever reason, it's probably because we're we're so close to football, but we haven't been able to actually see anything yet. Of course, this Saturday, I think Miami and Florida play what randomly. You mean? I've been I've been watching the NFL <laughs> and watching preseason hard and very. I mean, I've been paying. You've paying watched attention. hard knocks. Been paying attention to every line, every time somebody snaps the ball. What hard knots? No, I don't watch. I was gonna say like I don't watch reality TV. I don't watch the Kardashians (laughs) or none of that stuff. I don't like watching reality TV. I don't blame you. This uh, I haven't watched this season. I mean, I like Gruden. Gruden's a cool dude, but I just I mean I don't want to get I don't want to get emotionally involved in a player that's there and that won't be there. He's the sixth string guy or the sixth pick of the draft, and he doesn't make the team and all that. Hard knots. For guys that's been through NFL, it's kind of hard for it's, some it's guys a little bit to more watch real. hard knots because you kind of understand, well, man, it doesn't matter what the hell that guy does. They're paying that guy this amount of money. He's going to go. That guy's going to get cut. He can't stay. I mean, just because of pure numbers. Um, didn't, watch, didn't watch the Browns hard knocks last year with Baker. No, I did not. Oh, I, wow. I mean, I, I watched some of the highlights that would be out there. But, I mean, you from what people said, I mean, Baker Mayfield should have been starting day one. Um, I mean, who knows? But you who knows? I mean, the guy came in and pretty much did what he did. Well, I mean, well, like you, like you've been telling me with this quarterback battle. I mean, like, yeah, you guys might think that Jalen Hurts should be the guy day one, but you know, I've seen with my eyes. You know, maybe it took Baker Mayfield just a little bit to learn how to be a professional quarterback. Who knows? What? Who? You who, don't go. I mean, learn <laughs> who he's going to learn that from Tyrod Taylor. You, you know, I'm not. Come gonna, on. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I play devil's advocate, but Tyrod they would okay. They would have beat Pittsburgh if he was starting day one. Tyrod, they would have at least won that game. They would have been in the playoffs. Tyrod is not teaching Baker Mayfield anything. <laughs> oh, that's you, you going to teach him how to hold the ball and not throw it, uh, not give a receiver a chance. You know, he's got to see it wide open whenever he throws it. Uh, that's pretty much Tyrod Taylor's game. Baker's like, quick, I'm good. I'm good. Quick game. <laughs> Quick game, not very good on the deep throws. That's, I mean, what do you? What was the hang-up for? I mean, um, it's either you have it or you don't. You know what guys have it in the NFL. You know what rookies that come in that can do it and excel at it. You know what rookies need a little bit more time. Um, coaches act like it's just some kind of genius thing that they're doing in the NFL that doesn't, that's not going to make it. I mean, Sam Bradford rookie year, unreal. Get rid of his offensive coordinator. Man, Sam Bradford is struggling. Well, why the hell is he struggling? He got a new <laughs> offensive coordinator. Why did you get rid of the guy that was there? That's bad for a rookie to change offensive coordinators all the time. Exactly. And that's what they did. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, NFL preseason is going on, so we're not exactly star for football. I will guess I'll correct myself. But in terms of college football, um, you know, like my little group chat, we're, we're talking about Houston, we're talking about UCLA, and even outside the group chat, I've seen just some – hype regarding UCLA and maybe it's just because they're a name they're somewhat of a name program that's been down for a long time so I guess they're due for some type of rebound what whether that's eight nine wins I I don't know um but you you look at the way their schedule starts they start on a Thursday night on the road against Cincinnati and then they play San Diego State which every once in a while they've got a good skill position guy but I'm just going to safely assume that at worst UCLA is one and one heading into um, Cincinnati is going to be tough. Yeah, and UCLA lost to them last year, and they looked terrible. We yeah. really should have know knew then, like, yeah, this this team sucks. Yeah. Um, but at worst, UCLA is one and one heading into uh, their game with OU, their third game of the year, and like, I just can't help but think, you know, if they're one and one, if they somehow beat OU, 
You know, and they're going in with a new starter quarterback with a new offensive line. You know, there are question marks. It's not out of the realm of possibility that this could happen. If that happens, Chip Kelly is like set for this year. So you've got to think he's putting in a lot of like, hey, OU's coming, OU's coming, OU's coming. Rufus, you've played in that. You've been on, you were on the Rose Bowl team. You registered that year, of course. Um, so you went pl- down there and played against Maurice Jones Drew. But you played, you played against him, yeah. Mercedes Lewis, in that game in 2005 when Rhett Bomar got just absolutely depleted. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they tried to run that big old safety over. I forgot the guy's name, but man, he caught him in the middle of the field and suplexed him. I said, oh, my gosh. Is he alive? But yeah, I mean, do you remember, do you remember the first touchdown you guys you guys scored first that day? Do you remember the first how you guys scored? I don't even remember. Uh, it was Adrian Peterson dive that turned into a end around a tra- um uh what was his name wide receiver? Man, he had a his younger brother had that uh, car accident. Oh, uh, Travis Wilson. Travis Wilson. Yeah, it was an end around to Travis Wilson and uh, went like 50, 60 yards for a touchdown. Well, I was just happy that. Um, we were driving down the field because the I think the week before that we lost to TCU. No, we lost to you, TCU. You guys beat Tulsa, but beat you Tulsa. We but, lost to TCU week one. But there was n- like not one pass was called in the second half against Tulsa because Beaumont just didn't have it yet. Yeah, we lost to TC. We lost to TCU. We beat Tulsa, and then we had to play UCLA on the road. Yeah, yeah, and I was just happy they were moving the ball up and down the field because we played. <laughs> it's like good, we, I get to rest a little bit. <laughs> we played ninety some snaps against TCU, so you know we were kind of like, oh my gosh, please let us get some. And then Tulsa, we we played a lot of snaps in Tulsa too because we were struggling moving the ball in Tulsa against Tulsa as well. So I mean, Garrett Mills, I think had like eighty thousand yards in that game because he caught the ball like every other time. Um, but I swear to you. I was just happy they were moving the ball, and I wasn't really looking at the game. I was always looking down, just like, just waiting for them to say punting team, just waiting for them to say punting team. <laughs> That's all I did the whole entire game. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll ask you this because, I mean, like we've said a bunch of times on this podcast, OU is going to be good this year, but they do have question marks, and a lot of their question marks lie with guys that are inexperienced, guys that are younger, uh, younger classmen. Um, UCLA, the Rose Bowl, it's not it's not Death Valley. It's not the twelfth man. Oh no, it's not but, a lot of places. But but it's still you know, for you know, for a guy that hasn't played big time college football yet, you're still traveling a long way into a big city playing yeah. in a storied stadium. Yeah. Like, I've heard stories about the Rose Bowl, you know, that it might be a little overrated as a venue and it's very overrated. We kinda as we kinda venue. talked about it before we went on. It's but, very much so overrated. I think it's the worst one out of all of the bowls. <laughs> but you know, I'll I'll ask, is there anything that I guess OU fans should be concerned about? You know, and you know, OU still has to beat Houston. They gotta take care of business against South Dakota. But, you know, we're, we're in off-season mode. We can have fun with this. But is there anything that should concern OU fans with a lot of inexperienced, a lot of young guys that are playing important positions, basically having their first big road test be Los Angeles or Pasadena in the hey, Rose Bowl? They can have – their road test is going to be UCLA, and they can't get past that hump. We're in the trouble. Um, no for kidding. One. But, I mean, you got a lot of young guys that's out there offensive line-wise. I mean, you still got some battles that's going on. Left tackle with the, with Felix and with uh, Swinson. What is it, Swanson? Swinson. Swinson. Eric Swinson. Yeah, he Swinson. can't play for Michigan, remember? Yeah, he can't. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't play for Michigan. I mean, Swinson is a guy that he may step in there. I mean, Beanbow just has kind of a weird way of doing things. I mean, Swinson, Felix, you never know which guy's going to get it. Um, so I wonder which guy's going to take that position. Um, I, I like Felix in the way he plays. He's very athletic. I like Swenson as well. He's he's a strong, big guy. I mean, he's 
he'll he's he's a mauler. So um, I, I, I can't wait to see how that whole thing goes down. But if the offense is struggling going on the road, then I'm worried playing in UCLA. If the offense is not struggling and they're kind of clicking and they're moving along and you've seen the con- the constant growth that you would like to see out of your offense, I think then you go into UCLA say, oh, they may be a little bit, you know, on the road, first time on the road, have a little bit of struggles, but they'll catch on. But if they struggle, they struggle Houston, they struggle, I don't think they'll struggle too much South Dakota State. If they do, then we we are really in some, tr- in some problems. <laughs> we have some troubles. But that's gonna be a wasted waste of money for pay per view for some people if that's the case. <laughs> right. They, they struggle they struggle Houston. I'll be I'll be a little bit concerned going into UCLA with young guys going on the road, new offensive line, one starter coming back, brand new quarterback. I'll I'll be a little bit more um kinda like on edge, kinda like, man, they gotta get it going, they gotta be okay. Yeah. And you know, I, I hate to bring up bad memories. Um, but that 2005 season, I mean, the schedule, you know, it's kind of similar to what it is this year. Uh, I don't you see get, no more Reese Jones Drew out there in UCLA. That, though. That's true. No Mercedes Lewis oh, either. That is that is true. Um, now you guys had already played and lost to TCU, then you played Tulsa, and then your first big road test is in the Rose Bowl against UCLA. And also, kind of like um, this season with 2005 example. Um, you guys on the offensive line, you were replacing a really great offensive line from the year before, and you had one returning, I think one big returning. It was Davin Joseph. Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. And then Hakeem Millington quit uh, the week of TCU game. That really sucked as well. Oh, damn. Can't stand that guy for that. I can't remember that story. Yeah. Hakeem Millington quit that week one. Week one, right? The week we preparing for TCU, he quits. You go through all that, like summer. Fall. He was our starting, he was our starting right tackle, I believe. Oh wow! You starting right tackle quit the week of, and then they had to move. They we shuffle up the line again. Had to bring in Chris Mesner uh, to play left tackle. Davin I think went to right tackle. Um, and then John Cooper is a freshman. John Cooper's a freshman center. starting center. I think you had Chris Chester that moved to the guard. And he he might still be in the NFL. I can't remember. Oh, he yeah, plays he's in the NFL forever. He's about a hundred years old, and I forgot who was the other guy that played another guard. Um, but, I mean, it was just kind of the offensive line. That's when we struggled offensive line-wise. We didn't have the bodies. I mean, we used Cardero Moore as a defensive lineman to use as a scout team offensive lineman. Yeah. We had no offensive lineman that was there. Those are some bad memories. That's we don't need, struggle, to, we don't need to keep going. offensively, man. I'm telling you. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of the fear is, like, yeah, there's no – I think there's no question that the talent that BMO has to work with is that's it's where you want it. Right. Like you're going to bring in new guys. It, it's not a matter of are these guys going to make or are these guys going to work. It's just when does it start rolling like a machine like we've been accustomed to. And UCLA presents a good road challenge because um, UCLA is going to be probably a little better second year Chip Kelly system, but they're not so. they're not world beaters by any means. They're I not mean, picked I think they the Pac twelve. They have a lot of off the fields issues that's going on out yeah. there as well. Guys leaving, getting the heck out of there. I mean, I don't think he's gotten the talent that he's typically used to get. Because his like recruiting him. sucks. It hasn't been good. I mean UCLA is not like the mecca of football either. No. Nope. Used to be. I mean I mean it used to be a lot of good guys go there, but it's not like the place that a lot of guys want to go. Um USC is more of a I want to go play at USC instead of going to play at UCLA. I mean, UCLA is in Beverly Hills, you know, so all the pretty people go and play, you know. So, you know, that's the kind of the the look of – that's how I look at UCLA, USC. You know, 
you got the Hollywood, the actors, and all that stuff that wants to go play. But at USC is just a tough, hard nose. I'm coming out there to play football and be the bad, just be bad, all all in one place. And so, I think UCLA is just having. A, I think Chip Kelly's having a hard time recruiting the guys to come out to California to play for him. Makes sense, but you know, should have I- stayed in Oregon. Ah, he shouldn't have went to the NFL. Should have stayed in Oregon. <sighs> yeah, I. But I'll never understand it. But hey, I understand it though. They had a lot of legal stuff going on oh, over there. Yeah, that's that is true. Um, really quick, before we get out of here, uh, it's it's actually the thing I wanted to lead in with. But we were, you know, we kind of got the ball rolling. Jalen Hurts news got announced about ten minutes into the show, so this got pushed to the back, sadly. But um, this is an OU podcast, as you are, are all well aware. But uh, would be a little little silly to not at least acknowledge the fact that Cedric Benson, you know, former Texas running back, former Chicago Bear, Cincinnati Bengal in the NFL, uh, passed away. Um, was it yesterday? Was it yesterday or the day before? Day before, day I before. Believe. Yeah. Motorcycle accident. Passed away in a motorcycle accident. He was 36, which is like, I'm 28. And, you know, like, like I told you on the, the last show, um, those teams that you played on and those Texas teams that you played against, that was, you know, when I was really starting to get into like watching football and getting, becoming a diehard Sooner fan. So, um, yeah, Cedric Benson played for the bad guys, but he was, you know, game respects game. He was one of the all time greats at the university of Texas, which is saying something. And, you know, I just got to say, it's really sad. You know, Mike Gaddis passes away last, last week dur- during our, the recording of our show. At least that's when the news broke. We still don't know exactly what happened, um, but that happens. He's a little bit older, of course, than Cedric Benson, but um, it, it's just sad that we're, you know, with each passing season, I feel like people that I grew up watching are just dying. And this was, of course, an accident, but um, I just, you know, wanted to give you the floor, just uh, memories of playing against Cedric Benson, because in those years, OU Texas, the, like you guys were top three, top five in the country um, every time you guys laced up and played against each other. Yeah, you know, playing against uh, Cedric Benson, I played against him. Um, we shut him out uh, 12-0, but every time you watched him on film, you know, that was our key. Every time we went into the game, hey, you have to make Texas one-dimensional. You have to stop Cedric Benson. If you let him get rolling downhill, it's going to be trouble. If he gets into a rhythm and gets to see the hole and stuff, he's a one-cut up in the hole back, and he was a big guy. I mean, Cedric Benson was every bit of 230, 235, 240-pound running back that can really run, and he had great vision as a running back. Um, I mean, you love competing against him because he was considered one of the best in the Big 12. Um, and it's hard. It, it sucks, man, seeing a guy that young had so much promise and so much else, so, so much life left to live uh, for him to pass away in, in a tragic accident, a motorcycle accident. Um, you know, your, your thoughts and prayers goes out to his family and different things like that. The same with Mike Gaddis, though. You know, he's a Oklahoma legend, um, Carl Albert product. Um, J.D. Runnels um, knows more about him because he J.D. Runnels went grew up in that era, grew up around there. And he was the Michael Jordan of of whenever J.D. Runnels was growing up and the guy that everybody looked up to. Um, I had the honor of meeting Mike Gaddis at a golf tournament one time and just having the chance to speak to him um, just briefly. But still, I mean, he's a Sooner legend, a young man, died at the eight in, in his 50s. You know, you know, you want that guy to live for, for a lot longer and still um, be around for, for people and other people that looked up to him also. So two big losses, um, two at the running back position. Uh, Cedric Benson, like I said, I've played against, and he was a great, a great guy. Mike Gaddis, I've 
talk, I've seen him and spoke to him in passing, but both, um, you know, your, your thoughts and prayers goes out to their family. Um, and you know, it's nothing you can say, you know, to, to kind of soothe the pain or fix the pain. But man, man, like my heart hurts just because I played against Cedric Benson and he's just, you know, just a guy that I, I just known on the field and, you know, had mutual respect for after a game, you shake his hand and, you know, he's, one of those guys that took football very serious. He loved the game and um, just hard to see it happen. It hurts to see it happen. And just, you know, even though it's a rivalry game, this game it's bigger than the game. It's a lot to deal with people and people playing. Um, and I guess that's all I can say about it. I mean, it's just, this is sad. Yeah. And, you know, it's surreal to me just because, like I said, I grew up watching, you know, a lot of Texas games. I obviously would always watch OU Texas and Cedric Benson was always, like you said, you got to make Texas one dimensional. And there was always that fear that Cedric Benson could, he could take over a quarter. He could take over an entire game. He was that good. Yeah. Um, fortunately for OU that, that never happened when he was there, but you know, I can only imagine what it's like for you because, like you said, you played against him. You knew him a little, you knew him on a more of a personal level, you know, maybe not verbally or not, you know, buddy, buddy, but in terms of like you, yeah, competitors, you know, hell out of each other. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, like I said, Cedric Benson was a phenomenal back. I mean, there was what one and two, we had the number, I guess what Dante Hickson was either the number two or number one back in the country in Texas that year. And Cedric Benson was either the number one or number two. And so they both kind of split Dante came here and Cedric went over there. Um, So it was just the ties to it is just, just like I said, it, it hurts just watching a fellow uh, football player, you know, pass away so soon. Yeah, and I guess with that, we will uh, shut this podcast down. But, um, yeah, because we've got – obviously, we tried to do – we're trying to do a few shows a week. Um, It'll be a little bit easier to get a schedule down, everybody out there listening, once the season actually starts. Um, because games are on Saturdays, except for the first one, it's on Sunday and everybody's going to have fun the the next day for Labor Day weekend. Um, but yeah, once the season starts, we'll have a good little schedule out. Um, but we're going to try and still get out another podcast this week. Uh, even though John's gone, uh, Rufus and I will probably meet up at some point, um, later this week because we're going to have a little bit more to talk about now that the quarterback position, the quarterback position has been suggest has been final. Yeah. There's going to be a Jalen Hurts will be your starting quarterback. And now all that's left to do is either cheer or complain. Or break, it, <laughs> or break him down. I mean, that's what they're going to do. I mean, now they're going to start breaking down his game and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, it's going to be fun to watch and see it all play out. But, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited just about the year. So we, we, we shall see about Jalen Hurts and what he brings to the table. Good stuff, Rufus, as always. Thank you once again, man, for uh, being the third member of this podcast. It's awesome. Appreciate it, man. Well, and also shout out to John Hoover, who's enjoying his week-long vacation. So um, I look forward to hearing back from him once he gets back. And we'll be um, once he gets back, we'll be in prep week for Houston. Everyone's excited. Um, I'm excited just to watch college football this week. Um, Saturday, like I said, Miami, Florida, and then some random other games. Who knows? But it's here, everybody. And uh, John Hoover, Rufus Alexander, and myself will have you covered as much as possible. So, uh, everybody, thank you for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Thank you for subscribing and all that fun stuff. We've got already got a, about 17 ratings on Apple Podcasts, which is great. We've only been a podcast for about two weeks now. So, that's really encouraging. So, keep you know, keep giving us reviews and we'll try to improve as much as possible. Give you guys good free content. Uh, but for Mr. Rufus, Rufus Alexander, this is Brady Trantham and y'all have a good one.
Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Listen to John Hoover weekdays from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.